The Selfish Path to Romance. Download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and at amazon.com. You want to know the truth? Fine. I had an affair, and it's not anything I'm proud of. And now that I've answered all your questions, do me a favor. This is never to be brought up again, understand? End of discussion. And you may recognize that voice. That's Martin from Frasier, Frasier's dad. And what happens if you have an affair? And what is at risk when you find out your partner has had an affair? If your husband or wife or partner, boyfriend, girlfriend or whatnot comes in and says, oh, I had an affair. Or if you find out that behind your back this is going on, what types of assumptions are at risk of being violated when an affair is discovered? And with me today to discuss this is Dr. Tiffany Kistler. She's an assistant professor of couple and family therapy at the University of Rhode Island. And Dr. Kistler teaches courses in couple and family relationships and in sexuality and sex therapy. She's published and presented at national and international conferences on her clinical research, which includes sexual functioning, relational and sexual satisfaction, and sex therapy techniques. And Dr. Kistler is the co-founder of the Psychological Center for Sexual Health in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, Now, if I were to find out about an affair, or you were, or the couples that come into our therapy disclose an affair, the hurt party, the hurt party is in the position of I can't believe he or she cheated on me. What assumptions are at risk of being violated when they get that crushing knowledge that their partner's had an affair? Yeah, uh, what type of man or what type of woman did I marry? Was I completely fooled? Have I been wrong all of this time? I mean, they really start to question the nature of their, their partner choice. Um, other things that come in are, am I no longer attractive? Is there somebody else out there more appealing? Am I not good enough? So the views of yourself start to come into question. Um, views of safety in the world. Here's the person I'm supposed to trust more than anyone. We made this commitment. We, we chose to spend our life together, and now it was violated. And then problems with uh, your view of romance and, and how that's into question once a, a violation of this sort takes place. So it's all your, what cognitive therapists call your core premises, your most, your deepest, most important ideals. Just get, go, go into chaos at that moment. And one of the most painful ones is your view of yourself. Who am I? Was I not sexy enough? Did I do something wrong? I'm furious at him. Yes, that's important, but who am I? I I don't know who I am. And my whole world is, I I feel like I'm wobbling. I feel depressed. I feel traumatized in the the worst way. I mean, he's the person who's supposed to love me more than anyone. And well, she isn't. She betrayed me. So when a person goes through that, how do you as a therapist help them? Hey, I got to interrupt this because we've got to pay some bills. 30 seconds, that's it. A very quick ad, and then Alan will be back. Romance. Oh, I wish guys knew more about what we want from a relationship. (laughs) Boy, I wish I knew more about what I want. Where's that ad I saw? Ah, here it is. The Selfish Path to Romance. A serious romance guidebook. 
Download Chapter 1 for free at SelfishRomance.com and buy it at Amazon.com. Hmm, the selfish path to romance. That is interesting. When a person goes through that, how do you as a therapist help them? I think it's it's really important to, to help them think through and calm down some of their emotions, yet recognize that emotional upset during this time is absolutely natural and it's going to be expected. Um, helping predict what, when it's going to occur and how it's going to occur, who do I talk to, how do I reach out support, how do I... Um, do the self-care, I think, is really important once you start questioning all the assumptions about who you chose and who you are as a person. So when you feel those strong emotions, you need some way to stabilize yourself. You need some way. I know there's a metaphor that's sometimes used in therapy of instead of letting that wave of powerful emotion pull you down under... Mm-hmm. to be able to ride the wave. Oh, beautifully put. To ride the wave and to be able to have specific things to do, and that's what I love that you do. You will say, find some support, be able to process each emotion. Uh, you know, if you're feeling anger, anger, uh, process that. If you're And you look at these views. What's your view of your partner? Let's take a look at this. Um, let's take a look at your view of yourself, and is there any way that that you are still the same person you were yesterday and that you have new information and you need a lot of time to process this. Now, what happens if I'm that person and I, who's been injured, my, my partner had an affair, and I'm, fi- I'm getting flashbacks? And I just say, I can't get the thoughts of him cheating of me out of my mind. I am haunted by them. How do I handle the flashbacks of discovering, say, that my husband slept with another woman? I think when you're having flashbacks, and you can absolutely expect that you will, that the first thing to do is really let your partner know that it's happening. So if you're, if you're feeling triggered, clarify whether it's an emotional upset due to something that's occurring right now, or did you drive by a restaurant that reminds you of the event? Um, is it an anniversary of um, at the time that you discovered or that th- this affair was occurring? There's all kinds of things that can trig- trigger this event. So first, let your partner know what's happening. Then let your partner know what you need right now. Wonderful. And, yeah, and sometimes people don't know what that is. Do I need to be left alone? Do I need to talk about it? So you're going to need to do some work to figure out and communicate to your partner what you need at different points in time. Okay, and you don't want to overload the partner. And um, I know I've, I've heard you speak. You've talked about ways to self-soothe, too. How can you talk to yourself to help yourself with those flashbacks? This is just a flashback, and I can deal with it. Um, what about setting boundaries with the third person? I mean, that third person still exists someplace out there in cyberspace. Yes, uh, I think this is really important as well. You need to have clear expectations regarding the limits on any future contact. And if future contact needs to take place, you need to clarify what topics of conversation are acceptable and what are not. Now, as you develop these specific guidelines, you want to also know how the participating partner will inform the injured partner if any violations or any interactions have taken place. 
Um, really important that instead of the secrecy, we're cooperating. We're in a partnership to figure out how this works moving forward. So you, instead of being enemies, you're now turning the couple back into a partnership, and the third party is the, the third wheel that needs to be moved. You have a metaphor of turning a wall into a window. Tell me about that. When you're engaging in an affair, usually the injured partner is on the other side of a wall. So the participating partner and the fairy are on this other side, and they're keeping a lot of secrets and engaging in all this behavior together. We want to turn that wall into a window and put the fairy on the other side and have the participating partner and the injured partner have a clear window where they're being transparent, being open and honest, and sharing with each other and keeping that third party on the outside. So if it were me and my husband, it would be, you know, we're now putting the wall between the other woman. Yes, or if it were the other yes, man, sir. if I were having the affair. We're now putting the wall there, and we have a window to one another. Yes. And we're friends, and we're working together to solve this problem and save the relationship. And obviously, you need to set boundaries, not talk about the affair with your children, and be very careful which family members and co-workers you talk with. Listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Doc. This is Dr. Tiffany Kissler, the Assistant Professor of Couple and Marriage Family, uh, Couple and Family Therapy at the University of Rhode Island. And she is the co-founder of the Psychological uh, Center for Sexual Health and Providence, Rhode Island. How can we contact you if anybody wants to? My email address is tkissler, K-I-S-L-E-R, at the University of Rhode Island, uh, sorry, at edu. Okay, so tkissler at uri.edu. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. For more Dr. Kenner podcast, go to drkenner.com and please listen to this ad. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner. Another reason why the view that sexual pleasure is only physical, unrelated to your mind, your values, or your character is very wrong, is that if it were purely physical, it wouldn't matter what you think about sexual pleasure itself. But it does matter. To fully enjoy sex, you must believe that it is good. If you view sex as a guilty pleasure that must be hidden, not talked about and thought of only with embarrassment, this will undermine your enjoyment. Dr. Lonnie Barback, a noted clinical psychologist and expert in the field of female sexuality, observed that many of us have a sex is good, sex is bad script in our minds. We are told that sex is dirty, and yet we are instructed to save it for someone we love. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com. And you can buy the book at amazon.com.